Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. <laughs> what makes a great social entrepreneur or impact investor? How can leaders bring together the best qualities of being human and doing right by society and the planet with a sharp business sense and a nose for making money where it matters? Our podcast host has spent most of his working life grappling with these apparent contradictions that define the world of business for good. As a chair, CEO, investment advisor and mentor across charities, corporates, investors and so-called impact businesses. For the past 20 years, he's been signing off his emails and blogs in a way that reflects this same blend of apparently conflicting values. It's also the title of his new Pioneer's Post podcast, interviewing exceptional people doing great work in social business and impact investment. Welcome to Peace, Love and Profit with Liam Black. Well, welcome everyone back to the podcast. It's uh, lovely to uh, have you back uh, to Peace, Love and Profit. And I'm delighted that my guest today is Dave McQueen. Dave is a well-known leadership coach. Uh, he speaks all over the world on leadership um, and culture. Uh, and if you don't follow him on LinkedIn, you should. He's got some of the best content uh, out there, I think, um, on that particular platform and doesn't shy away from difficult, touchy subjects, which is one of the things I really like about his approach. Um, he is an accountant, an IT guy by background, uh, but he gave that up more than 10 years ago to pursue building a career and his reputation uh, around leadership and culture. Uh, he's married to the lovely Madeline, and they have two grown-up children, and they and they live near London. So, Dave, welcome to Peace, Love, and Profit. Thank you, sir. A real pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, great. I should also, for full transparency, say that uh, uh, Dave is a mate of mine, and uh, also we've worked together on a number of things over the years, and uh, we go for walks in the uh, Buckinghamshire countryside. Very deep hills. <laughs> we uh, we walk through the hills, um, putting the world to right, and yeah. we're going to we're going to do that now um, on um, Podcast Hill. Um, so, Dave, let me start with this: that, that um, I mean, you're renowned for not shying away from tough, touchy subjects. Yeah. Um, and you don't, you don't, you're, you're very unwilling to follow a particular line or ideology on something, which I, I think makes you a very powerful speaker. Um, and uh, and for a long time, you've been talking about diversity, inclusion, culture, brave leadership. Um, and then uh, you know, we're, it seems like we're in a new phase at the moment. So my first question is: To what extent has the fallout from the killing of George Floyd changed the conversations that you're having? What has changed for you? So a lot of the the conversations for me since this has happened, and obviously the, the effect it's had around the world, is a, a lot of organisations uh, having what I call a racial awakening, uh, in that before this time, a lot of individuals didn't want to talk about race as part of the um, one of the diversity strands. A lot of individuals were uh, had a preference for just focusing on, say, gender or LGBT+. But now this has been brought to the fore. No one can run away from it. So it has really changed because people are afraid of the conversations and they just want to be able to have some guidance as to how they can move the needle forward on the actual conversation around race and ethnicity. What do you, what do you think people are afraid of? I think they're afraid of saying the wrong things. I think that's probably been the issue and that's the feedback that I've got. You know, don't want to offend, don't want to say the wrong things or get on the wrong side of, of the law and offending people around race and ethnicity. And 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 I guess. 
I, I understand that in a way, but my approach has always been rather than be afraid, let's just have the conversation and just see how it goes. Yeah. And on, on the subject of uh, language, I mean, you've been quite vocal about um, uh, the, the, the phrase BAME. Um, and I think this is, again, part of the challenge, I think, for people that are wanting, you know, people of goodwill yeah. who are wanting to engage and maybe tackle uh, inequality and uh, racism inside their organisation. So can you talk a little bit about language? Why don't you like BAME? And ha- what's your advice about how we should be talking about these sorts of issues? Um, I think the, the the main initial response for me to BAME is that it's just, uh, when you actually look at it as a grouping, it's anybody that's not white British. Uh, so it's white British and then the other people. That's how that's how it comes across <laughs> me when I see it, and and I think it's 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 quite um, it's quite. Whenever we do any kind of racial or ethnic groupings, I think we have to be mindful that if you throw everybody into one box or or group and think that that represents them, that's quite dangerous. So if you take BAME, it's black, Asian, and other minority ethnic. So that includes Australians, that includes um, Eastern Europeans, um, Irish, the traveller community, some Irish as well. Um, and the, and, and within that group to, uh, more or less say, right, this is us white British and everybody else here, this is the kind of representation that you get, I think is a bit disingenuous and it doesn't have a representation of all the differences that we bring to the table from our different groups. So I have no idea right now what that other label is, but you know, I think the kind of same energy that we can use when we're breaking down ethnicities, when we're doing the census every, you know, 10 or so years. I think we can do the same thing when it comes to something like BAME. I just do not like it as a title. Yeah. And my, my hunch is that there's an increasing number of people that are saying that, that it's just yeah. such an undifferentiated label. It doesn't really help and can, I guess, get in the way of having the brave conversations that you're asking leaders to have. Yes. Yeah. And, and for me, it's about, and it's, and it's being okay with that uncertainty as well. You know, there are so many people who will uh, essentially have this, um, this moment of crisis because they think they're saying the wrong thing. And, um, you know, I, I say be okay in getting it wrong. If you're in a safe space, be okay, you know, create that safe space and be okay in getting it wrong and recognizing that that's just part of change. You know, you know, you, we, you and I, for, for, we, we hate cliched terms, but, you know, it's very obvious that growth doesn't come from a comfort zone. You're going to have to go outside of what you're you're normally used to, and be okay with that, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I, I think also social media doesn't help here, does it? That the the sort of culture of you've put one foot rhetorically wrong, so I'm going to beat you up um, online. I think makes people very nervous about, but yeah. a not being sure about what language to use, and just be just terrified of getting it wrong, and then getting labelled as a racist or a fool or um, yes. whatever else it might be so I think there's a, there's a lot to cut through isn't there no there is and I think the the the, the nomenclature for that is cancel culture where yeah. individuals who have heard a, a differing point of view or what have you will want to shut it down and I I don't have time for that I don't think you get any growth if you're just going to take one side of the of the um the argument look I can I can be strongly against somebody voting for Donald Trump but still respect the fact that they are exercising their democratic right I may not agree with it but to just shut it down and to say to that person that they can't have a voice for me pushes that kind of objection or pushes that kind of conversation to the back. And then you kind of like get extremism. So for me, I'm not going to, for the sake of argument for this one, I'm not going to tell, you know, white people that they don't have a voice at a table around race. Of course you do, because especially when you're in a position of power, 
to make a difference as to how that needle is shifted. I need you to have that conversation with me. There are going to be some times where the, the voice of that conversation may be centered around the, the black voice so you actually understand where they're coming from. But once we've got that stuff out in the open and once we've got that level playing field where we understand where each other's coming from, then we come to the table and have a decent conversation. But shutting it down, uh, I think that people who don't have the sense of nuance or have a sense of critical thinking or, or really understand what true debate is, I just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk away from those kinds of conversations and just embrace those ones where people are willing to go, right, let's, let me hear what you say, listen to what I'm saying, and then let's see if there's a way we can meet in the middle. And in the, uh, I know that you're having, you know, your your phone never stops, does it, with uh, yeah. um, with leaders from well-known companies saying, Dave, please help us. Do you detect a genuine change that's going on out there, or is it a bit too early to say? Um, I, I've I've been giving people the benefit of the doubt. So quite a number of people who have reached out. What I've done is we've made space for what we call discovery calls. And in those discovery calls, we take about 30 minutes where I explain my approach to it and, and I listen to specifically what their concern is and then we see if there's an actual match. There have been a couple or few, I should say, that I just looked and I thought, mm, no, this is not going to align. Either they can't afford it or they're just not really um, invested in it. They just want to have a quick speech and, and nothing more. But others, and, and this is where I get really excited, others are just like, you know, as, as organizations that deal with and people from different ethnicities, not just in our staff, but our stakeholders and our supply chain, this is the right time for us to be really straightforward about the conversation that we're going to have and not shy away from it. So I'm I'm quite hopeful that the the investment in terms of time and energy that's being put forward by individuals to make this happen is um is real. But again, as you said, only time will tell. But for the ones that I've engaged with, I do believe that there is a real good intent to try and get things done. Um, but we shall see as to as over time as to see if there really if there really is a long term appetite to make sure that this works effectively. Yeah, I mean, I guess one. Of the, I mean, we talked about this before, haven't we? I guess that the the danger for for you and other black thought leaders and leaders around uh, leadership going into companies and and it being a form of tokenism. Well, we've addressed this issue by having Dave come in and speak, but nothing else changes. So when you're in conversation with uh, these organizations, what, what, is it that, what is it that they say that makes you say, aha, they are serious. They're not just looking for me to come in and do a turn and then leave again. So there have been, uh, for clarity here, and uh, I, I think there's a big difference in my mind between a quota and a target. So I always say the quota tends to be driven more by the political. Uh, and the target tends to be something that across any given business that we have, we are all working towards targets or specific metrics that we have. And a lot of the organizations that I've said, right, I know you're actually committed to doing this. They're thinking about how do I recruit better? How do I, across the whole talent pipeline, from the way that I engage with students in school to internships to getting graduate programs to the leadership pipeline, what am I going to do to have better representation? And some have been really explicit in that they've said, you know, look, we're working towards three or five percent of our staff in senior leadership roles being of of uh, of black or other minority um, ethnic representations, and they've they've been quite explicit about that. Uh, and and I've said, okay, you know, you're actually putting your money where your mouth is. Others have specifically gone out of their way to ask me to come on board and and have a conversation about other things, so it's like shadow and advisory boards. How can they get more non-executives? How can they get that kind of representation across their whole company? 
And so working with them to start to unpick where the shortcomings are and how they can bridge that gap and how they can effectively get really good representation in the organization has been quite eye-opening. And those are the ones for me that I've gone, okay, this is not me just being able to come in and do a speech over Zoom. This is an actual dedicated effort over a, you know, a, a, a stretch of months or up to a year where they're really seriously thinking about how they can actually change and make a difference. And those are the ones that I'm going, okay, I see you and I'm going to work just as hard as you to make sure this works. Yeah, yeah. It's such a shame though, isn't it? I mean, because, you know, leaders like you have been, have been talking about this for such a long time. It's a shame that it's taken the the death of a man to bring yeah. this to the top of the agenda but not only the death the fact that you know it was filmed if you know the the killing of that man had not been filmed we wouldn't be having this conversation now i fear no definitely and, and i think it is to quote a, Mal- a malcolm gladwell thing i think it's a tipping point i think we are at a space where everything just converged we were we're no we weren't working uh, uh in offices where you know in the middle of a pandemic where everybody's eyes and ears are focused on the the small screens in front of us and, and the changes that had to be made and it was just almost like the the right time for want of a better phrase where you couldn't run away from it anymore and uh seeing organizations going do you know put their hands up and go do you know what we have run away from this whenever we've talked about diversity we've always focused on gender because that was the easier one to be able to do but now we're really hearing and and, and i think <laughs> I think the the, the, the the biggest issue is on top of the actual filming and shooting, as you mentioned, Liam, is organizations who have said to their black employees, okay, tell us about your experience. And then they've heard it. And then they've more or less reeled in shock. And they were like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so for me in the background, I've been saying, well, this is, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. People need to have the conversation. But it, I think it needed the critical mass for it to be to be pushed over the line as it has been done now. And people go, right, I understand your experience and I will do everything in my power as much as I can to make sure that we start addressing this so that there is some equity. Um, and, but as you said, it's a shame that it's taken this long, but, you know, I'm going to use and leverage the opportunity as much as I can while people are still listening. Yeah. I, I think you, know, you, meant, you mentioned gender there. Um, yeah. I think, you know... Uh, putting my sceptical hat on for a second here. I mean, if you look at the Fawcett Society report that came out this year, looking at um, gender inequality in business, I mean, it is woefully off target, you know, woefully off target. And, and, you know, these are, this is talking about people, women who, you know, the men who run these companies are married to have, have daughters, you know, even have some of those women around them at work. And yet, you know, as uh, the CEO of the Forces Society says in that report, it's going to take another generation at least before there's any change. Yeah. So, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm with you really hoping that this is a tipping point, but I think we're going to have to see some pretty radical change yes. um, yeah. uh, uh, happening. And my, my fear is that what will happen is, you know, people will have the, the conversation and then go, that's really interesting, we must do something. Let's, take, let's turn that into an HR project and come come back to us in six months to the to the leadership and let us know how you're going, rather than the people in charge who are overwhelmingly white men mm. saying there has to be a deep radical change in my personal behaviour and the way in which we organise so, ourselves in leadership. No, for sure, I agree with you, and I think you know one of one of the approaches that I've taken, and it's it's for some people it may seem radical, but rather than the uh, what I, I felt was a, a standard approach to diversity, inclusion, and equality, I, I decided to go and pitch it one level above and talk about culture. 
And what does the culture look like as a whole? So there are going to obviously be areas of resistance around, as, as I've known, as seen in the past around race and ethnicity. But I wanted to pitch it as something that happened at a cultural level. You know, what does it look for your culture in terms of the way that you develop your narrative online, on your website, on your social media, on the print, on your recruitment brochures, uh, in terms of the, the way that people speak in the organisation to each other and recognise those from different backgrounds. And I was like, if it doesn't touch all those points of your actual organisation, why are you doing it? I don't want it to just be that one person sitting in a DNI office in the corner whose responsibility is it to then say to everybody, well, you know, you need to do this. I'm saying it's got to be part of your DNA. It's got to be internal. Uh, and it's got to be something that you can measure as well. So it's no good just talking about, oh, we don't know where the talent is or whether or not you can um, promote people within. Set those specific targets, shape a specific narrative, and then hold yourself accountable. And as I said online, you know, to all those organizations that have put the given lip service to this, I'm going to be constantly reminding you online, have you done what you said you're going to do? Or do you think this is just a fad that's just going to pass in the next news cycle? Mm -hmm. uh, and fortunately, there are a number who have made big moves. You know, I think of Netflix. Netflix basically put 2% of its money into black-owned banks. That's like £100 million they put into black-owned banks. I think that was a huge move to be able to make. Um, Uber now, and uh, regardless of their problematic history, have now said that they're making a drive to be able to um, make sure that they have um, uh, an organisation that is not anti-black. Um, I think of Lloyd's, um, uh, Lloyd's Bank, whom they recently published on uh, on the web that they're, you know, making a move towards getting at least a representation in leadership of the population. Uh, uh, so, you know, up to 3% of the, the population in the UK are black, and they wanted to have a reflection of that in the organisation. Those things for me are really strong and powerful uh, statements of intent, but it's not just about a simple tick box. It's about how do we change our culture as a whole? And that's the thing that really excites me about what's actually happening. Yeah, it will, it will be very interesting to see how it goes. You talk a lot about narrative, you know. I, I wonder how those men, white men, yeah. you know, like me, white middle-aged men who dominate yeah. most of the businesses that you've talked about there and most businesses in sort of um, UK PLC, it'd be interesting to understand how where they see themselves in that narrative. And I think one of the challenges is to take the gender, um, you know, the inequality, that the, the just woeful lack of women in senior leadership in most organisations in the private sector, yeah. is that I think that when men talk about inclusion, what they mean is we might include you, woman, yeah. in our culture, in our boardrooms, in our leadership teams. And I think that how to break that culture of fundamentally this is ours yeah. and we are letting you in, um, uh, uh, and that, that can so easily lead to tokenism, yeah. Um, I, I think that is, for me, at the heart of the challenge that there isn't a genuine response um, to uh, what's going on in our society at the moment. Yeah. I think the, 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 the thing that's really struck me, um, again, as you said, I've been speaking about this kind of equity and equality for years. And, and the thing that really struck me, and, and, and I'm sure I've said it more than once before, is that I realised that in order to be able to win the hearts and minds of those who are in positions of senior leadership, I have to present it as a business case. I, I can't present it as a moral or ethical one, even though that's great. That's not what individuals are listening to. So then when I am drawing down on reports from McKinsey or whatever the consultancy or research body is around profitability, around sustainability, around employee engagement and retention, when you have more ethnic and gender diversity in your board or, or in the way that you position your company, 
all of a sudden those tend to be the boxes that people go, oh, all right, so we can make a couple more million. We can make a few more, you know, add a bit more zeros to 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 satisfy the stakeholders. And and I think because I've understood that as the language, I don't get myself um, caught up in having to explain the moral part of it because for me, you have to get the business case, understand that business case. But while we're in there, get them to understand what does that whole cultural piece mean around inclusion? Yes, you can get the money. And yes, you can have those women on board or people from ethnic uh, minority backgrounds. But this also means that there's going to be a massive shift in behavior. So the things that you might have considered as banter before or the things that you may have considered as um, appropriate boardroom chat, you have to change. You have to start think about how you're going, how you're going to do this slightly differently. And that's the bit where I'm seeing where, again, as you said, a lot of um, uh, white middle-aged men in, in power. I don't know why I'm nervous saying that, but I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> it's okay. I, 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 give, I, give you, I give you my authority as a white... Well, I'm, as someone said to me last week, Liam, you're not middle-aged anymore, mate. You're old. Um, no, but I, but I, 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 hear that, I hear that, and I think that the business case has to be made. I just, I just wonder whether the danger of that approach or the risk of that approach is yeah. if those business um, uh, benefits aren't perceived within the relatively short framework that most companies work on, yeah. um, whether then people will, will give up on it. I just, I just wonder, I, I totally understand why you don't want to make it a moral case because, you know, that, that can lead to, you know, judgmentalism and, you know, argumentation, so on. That's not going to get us anywhere. But I just, I just wonder whether there's a bit of a risk, and if we talk just about the business case without some real moral outrage in there, yeah. because because the reality is, you know, why are there so few women in leadership in business? Why are there so few black people in leadership in business? It's because the white men in charge don't want it. Yes, they but, don't want it. Yeah. Um, and so how how are we going to get them to want it? Because if they want it, they you know, if whatever they want, they can get in some. It's their business; they can decide. And a lot of these, you know, a lot of the conversations about innovation, disruption, change, all stop at the door to the C-suites, don't they? Yeah. It's we'll, we'll disrupt everywhere else, but God forbid we should disrupt ourselves, guys. And yeah. um, you know, be incentivized on yeah. um, making representation a priority. So you only get your bloody bonus if, within a year, we are not all white. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that balance between a sober business case, guys, if you do this, we'll make more money for the shareholders. And, you know, my more, you know, finger waving, for God's sake, boys. It's it's interesting balance to try and strike, isn't it? And quite a difficult one. It is. And, I, and, I, and I'm conscious, uh, to, to use W.E. Dubois's phrase, I've, I've got a double consciousness that whilst I have this platform and whilst I can be really outspoken about what it looks like if you really took the blinkers off and, and tackled your cognitive biases and started to think about the mental models. We, we, our favorite, my favorite word of the moment, but the yeah. mental models that you know you use to, to make decisions. The truth is, is that when, uh, when putting forward this stuff, my double consciousness says to me, Dave, put forward a business case, but also be very, very mindful that you're not coming across as an angry black guy. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, and that's the risk I think for people who are brave like you to walk into those environments and start yeah. talking about this stuff. That you will get dismissed as well. He would say that, wouldn't he? And that and that is the and that's the balancing act because you know that again, as you said, the once I'm in the door and, and I can start to talk metrics, I'll go, okay, what does that actually really look like? Uh, you know, there are parts parts of me in the conversation would, would be to say, all right, you know, 
if you're going to set these targets around sustainability and inclusion and equity, what does that actually look like in terms of, again, as you said, your, your annual bonus? And I know that the individual who's sitting in front of me is thinking, well, do I really want to give up my seat and, 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 and my space on the golf course and, and all the other attributes that come with it just so that I can make it seem more equal? And I'm always having to run that kind of conversation through my head. What is that individual or, 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 or do they realize how much they have to give up in order to be able to make it a lot more equitable? And it, it's challenging. It really, really is challenging because you're there, you're going right. This makes, and, and everybody says it, you sit down and go, this just makes so much bloody sense. It makes sense. It, everybody can see it makes sense. But if people are afraid and if people are coming from a space where they think, okay, uh, I, I'm, when I do this, am I going to lose something or other things to lose? That's when you get the pushback. And so it's just really getting an understanding of how you tread that really fine line that's important. Yeah, no, really well said. And I think that, you know, I think the change will come where that, that we have people like you that are, you know, um, having those difficult conversations. But I think it's, it requires some of the white men in charge of these organisations to have some very brave conversations themselves yes. uh, with, with their peers that, yes, things are going to have to change. Yes, we will have to give up something here. You know, if I, if I, you know, if I had my way, they'd all be told, you know, you've got a year. Yeah. To sort, you've got a year to sort this out. And if you don't sort it out in a year, then you're out. In the same way that if we had some other major business uh, dysfunction and you didn't sort out the computer system or you didn't sort out the cash flow, you would be out. Yes. You're going to be out if you don't deal with this cancer in our, our organisations where you get a situation where, you know, in some organisations, in the top several hundred leaders there are no or a handful of black people yeah i mean it's just it's just so wrong isn't it yeah and i think it's again come back to the point we're making i just think it's just getting people to understand to not be threatened by it and again you know it's yeah it's like you and i will know that across the board you know leaders will be threatened by lots of things whether it's technology you know is ai going to take my job um is it around gender balance? Are, are women going to kind of take my job? And now, and now, on top of everything, I've got technology. I've got all these, you know, uh, external political things happening. I've got a bloody pandemic, and now you also want me to start thinking about racing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's not bad enough, I've got this black bloke standing in front of me telling me we've got to change. Exactly. You know, how, how, how do I deal with this? And so, I, I, I guess it's, it's to, to, to come back to the point you were making about that bravery. It's, it's getting people to recognize that some really powerful decisions can be made by and, and brave ones where you, where you do put your neck out on them you know what uh, referencing back the the netflix and lloyd's and, and uber comments that i made earlier those are really bold statements that's huge that's bold you know you you uh, and i'll say this because they're one of my clients but i don't expect facebook to do that i just do not see that under mark zuckerberg's leadership that actually happening because time after time he's pushed back on that um and even though they're one of my clients, I will still call, you know, I'll still speak truth to power and go, look, guys, if you've got a problem, you should be able to to to, to change that. Um, and, and why can't you follow the Netflix or the Ubers in the world and, 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 and say to your stakeholders and your users, we've understood where you're coming from and we're going to do the same. And that is, ooh, that's a balancing act. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we could, you know, you're such a compelling speaker, we could go on all day, but we can't. So let me just end with this by asking you this really uh, simple and in some way stupid question. So if, if there's people listening to this in senior leadership positions in corporations, 
What is the one piece of advice you would give someone who's thinking, I'm serious about this? So, so for me, it, it really goes back to the whole concept of values. I think a lot of organizations are really uh, quick to put you know, their five-worded values or what have you on the actual site. And I, and I just say, what does that actually mean? If you, have a, if you have a value system that talks about honesty and accountability and teamwork and integrity and innovation, what does that actually mean when you really, really go to a deep layer about that? Does that mean that it's inclusive across the board? And what's the kind of work that you're willing to put in to make sure that you are able to realize those values? Because for me, that's where it all starts. You yeah. can't be culturally inclusive. You cannot be able to do this outreach to underrepresented um, communities or, or part of the, the workforce unless you have a real honest um, and introspective look at what those values actually mean, not only to yourself, but to all the other stakeholders in the organization. Once you've got a realization of that, then we can start to build and start to move forward with a deeper conversation. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you really up for? Yes. Okay. Dave McQueen, thank you so much for your time, mate. As thank always, you, yeah. a great, great talking to you, and I wish you every success in your work. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Peace, Love and Profit with Liam Black. Tune in to Pioneers Post Podcasts again via our website, SoundCloud, Apple, or however you like to listen to your podcasts. You can find hundreds more podcasts and videos and thousands of stories supporting business for social good from around the globe at pioneerspost.com. And if you'd like to support our social enterprise journalism, we'd love you to sign up for a subscription at pioneerspost.com slash subscribe.